the scripture reading taken in connection with the Tenth Commandment, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day that we will be going through in Lord's Day 44. The scripture reading taken in connection with this is Psalm 19, and you'll be able to find that on page 628 of your pew Bible. Psalm 19 is written to the chief musician, and it's a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So far the word of God. We'll now read together from the Heidelberg Catechism, and we'll be looking at Lord's Day 44, which you'll be able to find on page 558 of your book of praise. What does the tenth commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving 
to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever tried to keep a toddler from doing something that he or she wanted to do? See, this toddler's reaching out for something. Maybe on a Sunday afternoon, it's a hot cup of coffee on the table. And you look at him and you say, no. He looks back at you and then he smiles and then reaches anyways. Watching you every moment of the way. Now to protect your child as he's about to do something that's not very bright, you reach out and you grab his hand just before he gets that coffee cup and you say, no, that cup is not for you. What's the response? Thank you, Dad, for protecting me from harming myself. Probably not. What's more likely to happen is that your toddler will turn red and then redder and then redder again, and then you'll hear a piercing scream, complete outrage, that you could possibly keep him or her from doing what that toddler wants to do. The problem is that if you gave him the freedom to pull that cup over before he's able to properly handle it, he'll burn himself. After the fact, he'll feel the pain, and then he'll be very sorry that he didn't listen to you. But now, in this moment, He wants to fulfill his desire to satisfy his curiosity. He may hear the warning in your voice, but he wants to go ahead anyways. Quite often, the natural consequences and the consequences that you, as the one who have responsibility over him, will happen to him if you were to allow it. Already now, at this very young age, you can see the effects of the fall into sin in your child, of humanity wanting to go his or her own way. But as you see your child striving for that thing that is just kept out of reach, it's also a humbling experience, isn't it? Because in some small way, you can see a picture of yourself before God. Today, as we look ahead to celebrating the Lord's Supper, we'll think about this in relation with the 10th commandment. You shall not covet under the theme contentment in the safe boundaries of God's law. Now, why do we need to talk about the boundaries of God's law with this commandment, you might be thinking? Isn't that missing the point? Isn't this commandment about not coveting? And doesn't coveting mean wanting other people's stuff? If that is your train of thought, then the explanation of our catechism might seem pretty confusing too. Now, up to this point, we've had negatives and positives for every commandment as we've been working our way through God's law. You shall not steal, don't cheat people, but also work so that you have extra, so that you can give generously. You shall not bear false witness, but also 
tell the truth and do what you can where it is right and proper to build up your neighbor's honor and reputation. But when we come to the Tenth Commandment, the word covet isn't even used. So what's going on here? Well, the Catechism is pointing out something that's really profound, wrapped up in the phrasing of the Tenth Commandment. You see, the things that are spoken of in this Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. In Deuteronomy, it says you shall not set your desire on your neighbor's wife, servants, personal property, and more. These are a call to be content, not just outwardly with the commandments that we've been working through, but inwardly as well. You can't just not steal. You may not even covet what your neighbor has, this commandment teaches us. You can't just not commit adultery. You may not set your desire on your neighbor's wife. You can't just recognize the Lord as your covenant God. You must be content with his having set you in life with what you have, what you own, and who you are. If you truly do believe that he is your covenant Lord, and that your hope is in him and in him alone, the first commandment, then you are called in this commandment not to covet what he has not given you, but to recognize him as sovereign, and to recognize him as being the one who put you into the situation that you are in, whether financially or otherwise, and that he'll be the one who will guide you in it and through it. This is also true if you find yourself in a bad place because you've strayed from God's law. It's at this point when you see the effects of all all of it around you that you are brought to know that the only good place in the world is to be in the center of God's will. Outside will bring distress, depression, desolation. Might bring joy for a time and satisfaction for a time, but nothing lasting. But finding yourself in the center of God's will, within the boundaries of his law, will bring you peace. Peace between you and God. And that is why the psalmist of Psalm 19 today speaks so lovingly of the law of God. There is peace between him and God. And he sees the goodness of those boundaries and the protective nature of those barriers that have been so lovingly put in place. And that's why he's able to say the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey from the honeycomb. There is a deep and a profound love that's being spoken of here. 
a contentment, and a recognition that God's law is good, that it is precious. Now, that's not to say that life will suddenly be much easier for those who are within God's law. And we do get a picture of that in the life of the author himself. Because the author of this is King David. King David himself knew the sorrows that came with living in a broken world. He knew it all too well. He could see the damage that it did to his family. He could see the damage that it did to those who were in relationship with him, whether they be his commanders, whether they be his friends. And then you also are brought to ask the question, how is he able to see this? How is he able to say this, remembering who he is? Well, King David himself also knew the sorrow that came from living outside of God's law. He had a son who died as a consequence of his adultery. He had one of his inner circle of warriors, his mighty men, Somebody who he would have known very well, Uriah the Hittite, dying on the battlefield as he tried to hide the consequences of his sin. He exposed him to death. There was no peace and no contentment that he found outside of God's law. When he allowed himself to covet Bathsheba, the wife of that member of his mighty men, he found no peace. When he had her, he was able to find no peace in his heart. We can still find his restlessness with unconfessed sin in Psalm 32. And his struggles when it came to light in Psalm 51. He had what he had set his desire on, what he had coveted. And he was not able to be at peace. True contentment cannot be found outside of the law of God. But he was able to discover something else as well. As he went through life, even in the face of these great sins that he went through, he discovered that God gives us a way to live that frees us from the heavy chains of guilt. That his law frees us from the pains of discontent. When we immerse ourselves in his law, not just as a way to keep from doing something, but as a way to find a direction in the right way to live. Not just hold our hearts back, but to give our hearts. We will be able to live in a joy that's right and proper. And we'll, more than that, we'll be able to live in the knowledge that our Father in heaven is smiling down on us. But how is he able to do this? With the weight of all of those sins that are bearing down on him, with his hand in murder, with his hand in adultery, 
How is he able to do this when he sees the ripple effects of his sin passing down through the generations and his children going astray? His children doing so much hurt to each other and to those around. He has not been living in the center of God's will. How is he able to speak in this way? Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. David was able to find redemption in the God of his salvation. He was able to lay all of his sins before his God. He came in humility. He came uncovering everything before his God. He repented openly. He lived with the effects of his sin throughout the rest of his life. And yet having repented, having come before his God, he was able to return. He was able to be restored to the center of God's will. Because his God is his strength. His God is his redeemer. His God is the one who restored him. It wasn't David himself who fixed himself. If it was up to David, then this law would be something that's terrifying. This law would be something that convicted him every day and did nothing more. He would be living in fear every step of the way. He would be living in terror every moment of the day, the entirety of his life. But he turned to his God, praying for God's grace and the Holy Spirit. And God forgave him. And having been forgiven, he was restored to this place. And God looked down on him and God delighted in him. David was referred to as the man who was a man after God's own heart. God restored him. And God delighted in him once more. That is why he's able to find such joy in the law. Because it doesn't condemn him anymore. But for the repentant sinner, it provides him with a way to live in sweet fellowship with his God. His God who has restored the gap again 
that sin made. David is able to find such joy in his life and in the law because he knows that the Lord, Yahweh, his covenant God, has established the relationship and redeemed the relationship between the two of them. Now having been forgiven and having been restored in this position again before God doesn't mean that you won't face hills, trials, difficulties. It doesn't mean that your way is suddenly smooth before you. Think of the prophet Habakkuk. At the end of his book, he doesn't deny the fact that there will be hills. In fact, he confesses it freely. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Why? The Lord capital letters, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the Lord is my strength. And he will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills. Our Redeemer may not take away the hills even when we do return to the joy and freedom of living within his law. King David faced the consequences of his actions every day of his life for the rest of his life. But he will give us feet like deer's feet to walk on them. And so we come again to verses 13 and 14 of our psalm. We can find contentment in him, in the perfect and safe boundaries of the law of our Father who is protecting us from pain, kept from presumptuous sins, freed from their dominion, Blameless, innocent of great transgression, safe in the shelter of the wings of our covenant Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen.